Hello. Thank you for downloading this sermon by Pastor Casey Helenchek. Casey is a missionary pastor with Village Missions. Currently, Casey and his wife Hope and their six children serve the Bangor Community Church and the surrounding area of Bangor, California. Village Missions exists to glorify Jesus Christ by developing spiritually vital community churches in rural North America. We now invite you to open your Bibles and journey with us. All right, well, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 13, if you will. Uh, as always, I say it every week, just in case uh, there's somebody that needs to hear this. If you do not have a Bible or if you have a need of a Bible, please see me after the service and we can work on getting one into your hands. So we finish up Luke chapter 13 this morning and we see Jesus shows us his heart in this passage. Uh, He has been strongly warning the people who have assumed their standing with God. Uh, He has been uh, dealing with people who have trusted in their works or their ethnicity or anything else. And he's been warning them that they need to repent, to turn away from their trusting of other things. And they need to repent and turn to Christ alone. They need to turn away from their own righteousness and trust simply and solely in Christ's righteousness. But we also know that this is only one side, one, one extreme on the pendulum. This is the good, moral, righteous, of course I'm in side of the crowd. Jesus does not take joy in their destruction. Uh, Jesus is showing his heart this morning for those who won't listen and are therefore lost. We see that in this morning's passage. So people on both sides that, that think that they're in and need to repent of their own righteousness and people on the other side who know that they're not in because they're sinners but don't have a trust that Christ can save them. Both sides of that fall into the same category, and and Jesus is going to address as one group here this morning. Uh, We're going to be reading Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. As always, I greatly encourage you to follow along in your preferred translation. What is important is not my reading or which translation, but what is important is that you are, in fact, reading the Word of God. So Luke 13, 31 through 35 Luke writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. So we start at verse 31 and we see Luke writes at that very hour. Uh, This is something we've looked at the last couple of weeks briefly at the beginning. Uh, This sets the time and the setting of the passage we're looking at. Uh, This phrase shows that this takes place at the same time and in the same setting 
as what Jesus uh, was talking about, what we looked at last week. Uh, now, on first glance, it also, we could read this as, hey, look, there's at least a few Pharisees that liked or at least cared about Jesus. They're warning Jesus that Herod wants to and is going to try and kill Jesus. That's awful kind of them, right? That may be the case. There might have been some that were doing that. Problem is that when we read the rest of the Gospels, including just the last few chapters of Luke, this seems very out of character for that, how that group usually acts. R.C. Sproul speculates that they were actually trying to scare Jesus into leaving where they were, where Herod had control and authority, and they were trying to scare him to go to Judea, where the Pharisees had control and authority. Now, we remember that, that Herod is almost more of a title than a name. Uh, we see multiple Herods in the scriptures, in the Gospels, uh, in, in, in Acts as well. This is not the same one who was in charge when Jesus was born and the wise men came. Uh, this is the Herod who had John the Baptist killed. And he had heard about Jesus. He had heard about his teachings and his miracles. And he feared that Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. Uh, we've seen in Luke's gospel that he wanted to have an audience with Jesus. He wanted to bring him in, and he was scared about who Jesus was. This is the Herod who would end up being instrumental in Jesus' death during the illegal trials that took place the night leading up to his crucifixion. So this threat would not have seemed, uh, this threat would have seemed completely legitimate and credible when the Pharisees delivered it. One of the other commentators combines with that with R.C. Sproul's idea, and he wonders if, if Herod maybe told the Pharisees to tell Jesus about the threat without really intending to follow up on it, hoping that the threat was enough to move Jesus on. Because we see this commentator speculates that this Herod, unlike the Herod that was around when Jesus was born, who was completely bloodthirsty, who did, was willing to do whatever he had to do, went out and killed all the sons under two years of age, uh, this Herod had already likely lost much of his political capital and his public support when he killed John the Baptist. And he might have been hesitant to actually follow through on that threat to kill Jesus, who was incredibly popular at the time. So one of the speculations is that he was telling the Pharisees this to try to get Jesus to move on without there actually being a credible threat to it. No matter what the thoughts, the intents, the motivations of Herod and the Pharisees, Jesus knew that he was not going to be killed then and there. He calls Herod a fox. This was an animal that was not looked kindly upon by the Jewish people. They were associated with being deceitfully cunning. Uh, to, they were uh, looked at with contempt among the people. And so Jesus was showing and telling people that he had the utmost contempt for Herod and his authority and his ability and his threats. Now, yes, Herod would have had that authority and the ability to follow through on this if Jesus were not on a mission from God. But Jesus tells them, send this message back to him. And he uses the present tense to show that his ministry is not over. He's continuing uh, to, to heal and to teach and to perform miracles, to cast out demons. He is not stopping or running, but he is continuing until it is meant to be over. Uh, this use of, of three days that we see Jesus use twice here, uh, today, tomorrow, and, and, and so on, uh, today, tomorrow, and on the third day, 
This was a, a phrasing that was used often in the time, and it means that it was going to happen for a limited time. Jesus' ministry here on earth had an end date. It was not uh, going to continue on forever. That was not what the goal was. His, his, specifically, his earthly ministry, him here in human form. It was for a limited time. But that limitation on that, the end date on his ministry, had nothing to do with Herod or any other human being for that matter. Jesus is going to continue teaching, preaching, healing, casting out demons until he gets to Jerusalem and is put to death the way and at the time that the Father has determined. When Jesus mentions that third day, he is again uh, using the phrase that is well known at that time to, to show a finite amount of time. But he's also, we see very clearly in hindsight, making a very clear allusion to his death and resurrection. That he would be put to death and then rise again on the third day. Now in verse 33, Jesus does say he needs to continue his travels to not just hunker down right where they are, spend the rest of his time there in, in, in Herod's area. However, he clarifies this is because of God's plan, not because of Herod or the Pharisees or anyone else. Jesus had a very specific timeline to follow. All of the specifics of God's plans were laid out and figured out. All the details were set up well beforehand. Jesus had to go and die in Jerusalem. It was at the end of, of Luke chapter 9. We see Luke writes that Jesus set his face upon Jerusalem. It's when he started his journey. His entire ministry from that point on was Jesus traveling uh, slowly but surely, methodically bringing him to Jerusalem in that right place at that right time to fulfill the plans of God. And Jesus, what Jesus was saying here, he's not saying that every single one of the prophets whom God had killed, uh, who, or who God had called, were killed inside of the city of Jerusalem. Rather, we see Jerusalem is, is throughout the scriptures, throughout the history of the Jewish people, Jewish is a symbol. It is the center of the, the Jewish religion and Jewish worship. Jerusalem is the, the, the center of all of that. And what Jesus was saying is that those religious hardliners, the ones who Jesus has been teaching and preaching against, the ones who have been warning not to, who he has been warning not to assume their admission to heaven, this, this religious establishment, Jesus is saying that these men are much more dangerous to a true prophet of God than any threats from Herod in Galilee or anyone else from anywhere for that matter. These men wanted more than anything else to shut Jesus up and to ruin and to end his ministry. Jerusalem was, again, the very symbol of the Jewish religion. It was synonymous with the Jewish religion. It still is to this day. And it's very similar to the way that the Pope is a symbol and is synonymous with the Catholic Church. Uh, these types of symbols, as, as heads of establishments, they often gain power and influence, and, and they establish the rules and the standards. And if anyone goes against them, the hammer comes down hard and swift. That's what we see happening with, with Jesus here. We see it throughout the rest of his ministry. It's what we saw with the Catholic Church during the Reformation. Martin Luther was the face of it. But there were so many more men who were fighting for the word of God, fighting against what the church was teaching at the time and, and were being persecuted. Zwingli, Tyndale, Huss, Calvin, just to name a few names. These were men who were standing up and preaching the word of God. 
straight to the people, straight from the Bible. And they were being uh, brought down by those that were in the establishment and in authority. Speaking the truth of God, straight from the word of God, speaking the true word of God will often lead to persecution from those who have power and a warped view and teaching of the word of God. And that's what Jesus is encountering here. He is speaking the straight truth of the word of God. And those who are in charge, who don't see it the way Jesus sees it, are going to do everything in their power to make sure he cannot continue. Luke ends this section with Jesus' lament over Jerusalem in verses 34 and 35. And, and some people believe that these verses did not happen in, in here chronologically. That Jesus didn't say these words right here during his back and forth with the Pharisees. Uh, but that Luke included them because they fit perfectly with the theme. They fit with what Jesus was saying. If this is the case, this would have been spoken by Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. As we also see recorded in Matthew 22. Uh, it's possible that Jesus shared this lament on multiple occasions and ultimately makes no difference in meaning or application when these words were spoken, only that they were spoken. And Jesus laments over Jerusalem and, and their rejection of him. Webster defines lament as to express sorrow, regret, or unhappiness about something. Another definition I saw is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Jesus was, was pouring his heart out during this lamentation. He was speaking uh, to Jerusalem, the very symbol of the Jewish people. And so he's speaking to the people. He says, I have invited you to be a part of my kingdom. I have sent prophets and messengers to extend this invitation to you. I have continued to do this, to reach out time and time again. And you keep rejecting them. You keep rejecting the message and the invitation. You keep rejecting me. Jesus says this breaks his heart. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? This is a word picture that he uses here. Um, he uses this word picture in a way common to scriptures in the culture of the time. The hen as a mother is a common metaphor for, for loving care. Jesus is, is showing his heart and his longing here. Um, he wants to gather his people up under his wings to provide that. Kent Hughes writes that Jesus longs for us to find sustenance, warmth, and especially security in him. And that's what he's, he's offering him, under his wings. He does not delight in the death of the unrepentant, of the unrighteous. See Ezekiel 18, verses 23 and then 32 have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn away from his, turn away, sorry, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Jesus says, you have rejected me, you have rejected the Father, you have rejected the offer of salvation, and so there is no hope for you if you do not repent and believe. And we are all responsible for our own selves. We are all individually responsible for not experiencing the love of Christ and the salvation that comes with it. We cannot depend on our family, on our household, on our nationality, our ethnicity. Even the way it is used today, we cannot depend on our religion 
to save us. It is only in response to our own acceptance or rejection that we can depend on and determine our eternal fate. And Jesus tells Jerusalem, uh, uh, tells the group as a whole, the offer is still there for individuals, but that tells that Jerusalem as a whole, your house is forsaken. The offer that you thought was exclusive to you is now withdrawn. To clarify that the exclusivity of that offer has been withdrawn. The offer and the invitation are now open for all to hear and respond to. Now, this is a new surprise to them, uh, a, a surprise to the Jewish people that only the Jewish people now who confess Jesus as Lord will go through that narrow door to heaven. Each and every one of us, single one of us sitting here today, only those of us who confess Jesus as Lord, say, blessed is he who goes in the name of the Lord. We say that about Jesus. Only those will go through the narrow door into heaven that we looked at last week. There is no corporate offer. There is no corporate salvation. Corporate meaning the whole group. There is only individual. This is not a plan B or a surprise reaction by God. He's not saying, oh no, they've rejected me. Hurry up, let's come up with another plan. Or let's hurry up and offer it to some other people. This is all a part of the same plan of redemption that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came up with and implemented before the beginning of time. One commentator likens us, makes it clear, he likens us to Jerusalem today, or us today to Jerusalem then. If we do not come to him, if we do not uh, trust in Jesus and repent from our sins, believe on him, then we too will be forsaken and destroyed. But there is safety and salvation. There is security under his wings. I cannot emphasize here enough here that we are truly seeing Jesus' heart for the lost. He is not an emotionless, stoic guy walking through, walking around saying, believe or don't, it makes no difference to me, just choose. That's not what he's doing here. He does not want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And of course, he knows that not all will come to repentance. Many have and will perish. That doesn't mean that he does not grieve for those who have. I love how Jesus is described in in one commentary, his heart here. He writes, we also see his extraordinary human spirit. The relentless terror of the cross daily loomed higher over his life, but his love for others drove him on. He was truly sympathetic with those who came to him, totally engaged when they spoke. He was tender with every need. He wore himself out ministering to others. All the while, he moved closer to his cosmic excruciation. That's something we need to think about. We need to to try to apply today. If Jesus was able to love, to have genuine, pure love for even the worst of sinners, for those who completely rejected him, how also should we be able to have that same heart for the worst sinners we know? Those who choose the worst sin in our eyes. I saw somebody say last week, and I couldn't find it again, so I'm paraphrasing what they said. They said, if Jesus died for people who rejected him, beat him, killed him, the least I can do is treat people who I don't like with dignity and respect. Jesus is showing his heart that even the worst of sinners, it it grieves him that they would then be lost. It's a reality, but he has to deal with that and grieve for them. 
Now, Bruce Larson writes on the end of Luke chapter 13, he says this chapter ends with a poignant lamentation. Jesus must accept, though with sadness, the fact that there are people who will not accept the kingdom. His agony over Jerusalem and its hardness of heart is the same agony he now has for the hardness of heart of those of us in the new Jerusalem. Jesus then and now is in anguish over those who cannot accept the life he is offering, who have hardened their hearts to the plea of God to come into his kingdom. If you have not accepted Christ, if you have not turned to him, if you have not, whatever phrasing you know, we want to use at, at this moment, if you have not done that, if your heart is hard to him, Jesus is grieving over you. And he is still calling you. It is not too late to turn to him, to repent, to bring forth yourself and lay yourself down under his wings. The reason I keep mentioning the heart of Jesus and his love for those who reject him is just in case. Those passages we've looked at the last few weeks, they can sound discouraging. If, we, if, if I've done a poor job up here, those passages we've looked at the last couple of weeks, they may feel heavy. They may help us to feel beaten down. They may be discouraging. And what Jesus says, uh, when Jesus says that not all who think they are in are in, our human tendency is to either completely ignore him and have pride in ourselves or to think he's telling us that we're not in. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the message that I was trying to share with you these last couple of weeks. Because it's not the message that Jesus is saying. He's saying, make sure. He's saying, look at yourself you know, and, and, and do that. Do not trust in these other things. Trust in him alone. And so if, if you felt any of that the last couple of weeks, Jesus here is, is, Jesus is here to say, there is hope. The offer of salvation is extended to all. You can accept it right now. And if you already have, then do not fear, for he will never forsake you. Turn those burdens over to him. Rest in him. Quit trusting in your works, but also quit condemning yourself for sins that have already been forgiven. Quit condemning yourself for your sins. Accept the forgiveness and rest that's being offered. Let Christ gather you as one of his children, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And if you are in Christ, if you are one of his his chicks, to continue to use that word picture, then you are his. Then he is speaking to you. He was celebrating with you. He was rejoicing over you. He is not grieving over you. If you, have not, if you are not in Christ, then he is. And he is still calling you to come and change that. For those of us that are in Christ, we, we take this first Sunday uh, and we, we celebrate communion. Communion is a, a symbol and a, a, a remembrance of us being in Christ and what that means. Who we are and what he has done for us. We do this with... with um, the crackers and the juice that we're going to pass out in a few moments, uh, they symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. And we do this with reflection. So if you have not truly repented and trusted in Christ, you know, we, we ask that you pass these elements along. There's nothing magical about them. They don't save you by taking them. Uh, they are a symbol and a reminder to ourselves, Christ said to do, uh, to, to remember what he has done. Uh, and so...
We remember who he is, what, did, what Jesus did for us. Remember that he went to the cross, that, that, that looming excruciation that we, we read about, that looming over his head. He went there and he died on that cross, shed his blood, died a death he didn't deserve, suffered the punishment, the wrath of God. So as we sang earlier, the wrath of God was satisfied. Our punishment, our debt that we owed, our, our punishment that we were supposed to take has been fulfilled by Jesus on that cross. Then he rises again. He comes back. He defeats death. The, the, the wages of sin is death. And we have sinned. And we will continue to sin. Uh, even in our new, uh, as, as a new creation, we have continued and will continue to sin. But he has defeated the punishment for that so that we may live forever with him may live eternally with him and so this is meant to be sobering and somber as we reflect on what he did but it's also meant to be at the same time a celebration that he did that for us and we get to celebrate in that he gets to rejoice in us being a part of him and so we we get ready for this we prepare for this we make sure that our hearts are ready we make sure that our, our minds are ready we make sure that we come to this and we don't partake in this simply because it's a tradition. We don't partake in this simply because everybody else is. We don't do it for the, for the wrong reasons, but we reflect on and we think on who Christ is and what he has done for us. Paul recounts to the church in Corinth what I now tell you as well. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, he writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At this point, I'll ask Mike and, and Jim to, to come on up. We're going to, we have the individual cups that have both the wafers symbolizing Jesus' broken body on the cross, and it has the, the juice in it as well, uh, which symbolizes the shed blood of Christ. We will pass those out if you need help opening, because sometimes they can get Thank you. tough to open. Uh, please raise your hand, and I can come around, or somebody else can come around and help with that. We will take the We'll take the crackers, for, crackers first, and then, and then we will do the juice, each individually as a church family. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash B-A-N-G-O-R Community Church C-A, all one word. If you would like to connect with Pastor Casey, please hop on over to caseyhelenchuk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y. H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K dot com. Thank you and God bless. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's word. If you've listened this far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at caseyholanchik dot com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.